Welcome again to Science and Religion. I'm Greg Kutsona. In the last podcast, I took a look at the term religion and how well it applies to Christianity as well as Hinduism, Buddhism, and many other traditions as well. In this podcast, I'm going to turn to the monotheistic traditions of Islam and Judaism and their relationship with science. Another way to put it is let's not assume the Christian narrative uh, of the story to hold as a table leg that holds up a table for us to do our work on. And that has traditionally been creation, the creation by God, the fall of Adam and Eve away from God's perfection and great uh, and ideas of what um, we as human beings are supposed to do. Thirdly, then redemption through Jesus and then finally, consummation at the end of time. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation is the story that has come into conflict with the dominant scientific worldview built on evolution of um, a universe starting 13.8 billion years ago, as I talked about in a previous podcast, and uh, having the evolution over these billions of years to create uh, Homo sapiens sapiens and uh, ultimately where we are today in, in, 20, in the 21st century. But that narrative is not always a helpful assumption. Not even Judaism, which shares the same uh, parts of the Bible as Christianity. In other words, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, is the same as the Protestant uh, Old Testament and most of the Catholic Old Testament. Now, Judaism does not see science in the same way. But I want to uh, give some provocative quotes on the way there from the most famous Jewish scientist of all, Albert Einstein who said, the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, an almost fanatical love of justice and the desire for personal independence, these are the features of the Jewish tradition which make me thank my stars that I belong to it, as Einstein said in the world as I see it. And then his famous quote, science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. Now he was thinking of religion as the philosophy of Baruch Spinoza, uh, religion as an idea of the, not a, a god who, uh, more of a deistic god, even a god of the equations that set up the mathematics behind the universe, the kind of equations that we think of with E equals MC squared that Einstein defined in his theory of special relativity, but of course many others. All right, just a quick overview of Judaism, and I should probably warn you as listeners that my uh, introduction and description of all these religious traditions will be somewhat uh, brief. So Judaism has about 15 to 16 million adherents. Uh, just emphasize million because there are about 2 billion Christians. It was founded in the southern Levant, modern-day Israel, Palestine, and Jordan. And some of the key dates are um, the time of the, uh, the patriarch Abraham in around 1800 before the Common Era. In the 13th century, we... Uh, read about Moses leading the people of Israel um, in the Bible that uh, it's particularly uh, leading them out of Egypt across the uh, parted sea, the Sea of Reeds is the way it should probably be translated from the Hebrew Bible um, into uh, this promised land of the southern Levant, uh, which we know today as modern-day Israel uh, primarily. Around a thousand before the Common Era, there was the great king of Israel, David, and still the symbol of Israel today is the Star of David. In the 6th century before the Common Era, the Torah, 
the first five books, particularly of the Hebrew Bible, were finalized, though they had been passed down for many centuries orally. And in and then a very important ancient old date, you know, not prehistoric, I was about to say that, but an older uh, early date of Judaism is in 70 of the Common Era, the Romans destroyed the Second Temple in Jerusalem, and that uh, ended Temple Judaism with animal sacrifice and so on. Uh, the temple that was uh, first developed by, uh, constructed by David's son Solomon around, let's just say around 980 before the Common Era, in the, in the 10th century before the Common Era, um, rebuilt after the uh, Babylonian invasion in 586, but then ultimately destroyed in 70 CE, which is the uh, remains the temple that we see today. The importance of this is that it broke away from the priestly side of Judaism and, and began to emphasize the teaching or rabbinic side, which we associate with rabbinic Judaism and Pharisaic Judaism, that is the Judaism of the teachers uh, of the Pharisees. Uh, as I mentioned, these key founders, Abraham, and Sarah, Moses, David. Today, the major uh, branches moving from more conservative to less conservative are orthodox, then conservative, and then reformed. And the key belief is in the one God, Yahweh, who chose the people of Israel and who requires worship, ethical behavior, and rituals. And the belief in a Messiah who is to come in the Messianic age. Um, practices, of course, of circumcision at birth, the bar mitzvah for boys, the, the son of the covenant, also now the bat mitzvah for women, from young women around puberty, uh, the observing of the Sabbath, um, etc. The high holidays, the Day of Atonement or the Day of Covering, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Head, Hashanah of the Year, the, uh, the Jewish New Year, and then of course the Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh, which is essentially uh, coterminous with the Old Testament and the Christian Bible, and then the commentary on that, the Talmud. So, a few things about Jewish views on creation and scripture. So, as I mentioned, there are creationist views, certainly in the history of Judaism and in the more uh, conservative forms of Judaism, like in uh, Orthodoxy today. And even the Jewish calendar, which was put together in the second century of the Common Era uh, by Rabbi Yosef ben Halafta, came up with October 7th, 3761 before the Common Era, as the date on which the world was created. Um, and uh, so that's how the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish calendar, uh, is developed. But um, so that's a more, of course, literal version. Um, but in other ways, um, the Jewish interpretation of the Bible has not always been literal. And I, I comment on this because sometimes we think that the Bible and a literal reading of the Bible interpretation is the only way that it can be interpreted in every tradition. Here is Philo from the uh, from 25 before the Common Era to 50 of the Common Era, who talks about the early chapters of Genesis. Just listen to this and uh, see if you think this is literal. When therefore Moses says God completed his works on the sixth day, we must understand that Moses is speaking not of a number of days, but they take six as a perfect number, since it is the first number which is equal to its parts in the half and the third and the sixth parts, and since it is produced by the multiplication of two unequal factors, two and three, and then Philo 
is off to the races with his allegorical interpretation. So um, we see these early Jewish commentaries. Uh, we also see in the philosopher Maimonides um, this suggestion that he, Maimonides is from 1135 to 1204, and now I'm going to quote Alistair McGrath's book, Science and Religion, A New Introduction. Um, Maimonides went so far as to suggest that if science and biblical interpretation were found to be in tension, this was because the science was not understood properly or the biblical text uh, was being misinterpreted. If science demanded certain beliefs that did not contradict any fundamentals of faith, then those beliefs should be accepted and scripture interpreted in their light. So um, you can see that's the Middle Ages and how uh, some of the history of Judaism in relationship to science has occurred. Of course, we think of Judaism um, often uh, in popular press with the great scientist Albert Einstein, whom I mentioned. Um, and Einstein, as he pointed out, had this incredible uh, you know, love for the Jewish tradition and its desire to seek truth. And it is really noteworthy, again, this small population, maybe 15, 16 million Jews out of the billions of people in the world, that Jews have won a total of 41% of all the Nobel Prizes in economics, 28% in medicine, 26% in physics, and 19% in chemistry, and uh, number just 0.3% of the world's population. So we have to recognize that there's a significant contribution of Jewish scientists in the world. And overall, um, you don't necessarily need to say, I believe in the Torah or the Jewish God to say you are a Jew. And so if we take that uh, as a way to understand Judaism, Jewish intellectuals have a, ten, have a broad, broad uh, exp uh, um, influence on science. And those that are believing Jews tend to have a relaxed approach to evolutionary theory. I'd think of um, Jeffrey Middleman, who runs Middleman, who runs Sinai and Synapses, a uh, nonprofit that integrates Judaism and Christianity. And actually, full disclosure, I serve as an advisor to this group. Um, he says that you know Jews have no problem as a whole uh, believing and accepting science. It's actually <laughs> probably. If anything, um, he says a little bit more of the problem of seeing the relevance of Scripture um, and that Jews as a whole have a great deal of interest in the relationship with what science can show. All right, let's move then to Islam. Islam, uh, a much larger religion, almost, well, almost 2 billion, but probably 1.8 billion uh, followers or adherents or Muslims. The Arabic for Islam means submission for the, to achieve, which achieves peace. It was founded in the Arabian Peninsula. We think of this as Saudi Arabia today. The year one in the Muslim calendar, which is different from the Gregorian calendar that we tend, we tend to use, is 622 of the Common Era. And its founder is Muhammad, whose dates are 570 to 632 of the Common Era. Uh, there are two major branches, the Sunni of about 82% and the Shia about 18%. And then there's this mystical tradition that moves through both called the Sufis. Um, their beliefs are in an absolute monotheism, the one God. God, uh, the name for God is Allah in Arabic. Now, if a Christian who speaks Arabic were to call upon God, 
that Christian would also use the word Allah. So it's not, it's a generic name for God, but there is only one God. Um, the same God, Muslims believe, was revealed imperfectly in the Jewish and the Christian scriptures. They believe in the five pillars, faith in, uh, in Allah and with Muhammad as his uh, f- final prophet, the seal of the prophets, in prayer five times a day, in the giving of alms, in a pilgrimage to Mecca if it's possible in terms of health and economics, and in the month of Ramadan for fasting. Their services, uh, mosque services on Friday, uh, no alcohol or pork. Um, and of course, Ramadan is a major holiday, as is Al-Hijra, the flight of Muhammad, which starts the new year. Um, the texts are the Quran, the sacred text, as well as the Hadith, which are recorded acts of Muhammad's sayings and, and, uh, and acts. The golden period of Islam, this is fascinating, um, and this gives some level of um, nuance to this idea of the scientific revolution. But there was this golden period of Islamic science between the 7th and the 13th centuries, um, you know, in the Middle East. Uh, and we can understand that when we think of the um, key words um, such as algebra, algorithm, and alkaline. These are all um, Arabic words, all meaning the, and demonstrates the importance of um, of Islam in the development of science, the flowering of mathematics and experimental science, and the learning they had from Aristotle, when so often Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, was lost in the Christian West. Um, the, their, their philosopher, the Muslim philosopher Averroes, brought philosophy to science. Um, and these uh, scientists in the Islamic tradition uh, here's what McGrath writes about them. Certain Quranic texts call upon the readers to study the natural world as a means of appreciating the wisdom of Allah. This might seem to the emergence of an Islamic natural theology with parallels to its Christian counterpart. However, the situation is not so simple. As has often been pointed out, there's no direct equivalent to the Christian notion of natural theology in Islam. In general, Islam recognizes no true knowledge of God outside of the Quran. Um, and so there's really no what was called natural theology, uh, as I've mentioned in other places. And this um, is paralleled in Saeed Hossein Nasser's comment that um, there should be an Islamic science, a particular science um, that is not in, under the hegemony of the West. Any science, he says, that could legitimately be called Islamic science and not be disruptive of the whole Islamic order must be done in a way, must be one that remains aware of the vertical cause of all things, along with the horizontal, a science that issues and returns from the real, al-haq, who is the cause of all things. Um, so uh, that's one element of Islamic science. Another that's really interesting is what al-Ghazali, the... Uh, 11th and 12th century philosopher of Islam talked about um, that he did not believe that there is primary and secondary causation, as I dealt with last week, but all everything is caused directly by uh, God, Allah, and so there's uh, this is called occasionalism, that every occasion of experience is upheld by God, and this tends to, is tended to have a restrictive way of um, understanding uh, what science studies, because if the secondary causes cannot be studied, then 
um, there's really not as easily a place for Islamic study of science. Um, and, and so this is significant um, for the development of Islam. Um, here's what Al-Ghazali writes. You have known from the sum of this that all temporal events, their substances and accidents, those occurring in the entities of the animate and the inanimate, come about through the power of God. May God be exalted. He alone holds the sole prerogative of inventing them. No created thing comes about uh, through another created order. All comes through divine power. Um, so this is again called occasionalism. A few final comments on Islam and science. Um, one of the things that uh, Islamic scientists often talk about is um, that with the destruction of the Istanbul Observatory in 1580, there is this concern that Islam has lost uh, and Muslims have lost their place as leading scientists. Two Muslims have won Nobel Prizes in science, Muhammad Abdul Salam, physics in 1979, and Ahmed Zavail in chemistry in 1999. Um, and this demonstrates that there obviously are uh, very important, committed uh, s scientists from the Islamic faith. Um, and um, this sometimes presents a lot of very interesting conversations. I was at a conference um, with, uh, put together by Elaine Howard Eklund at Rice University, and uh, some of the speakers were around a big table um, having a, a meal together. I believe it was lunch. And a Muslim scientist uh, said to me that he was essentially able to keep together his Muslim faith and his science through a kind of deism. And he said, I see God as setting up the equations in the world. Um, and I do, but God is not any longer involved in the world. And that's the way I keep together my Islamic faith and science. This would be uh, in contrast to Musafir Iqbal, who writes in the study Quran, quote, Built into the Quranic description of the cosmos is a teleology, a directionality that anchors the physical cosmos in a metaphysical realm, thereby establishing an incontrovertible intro, intro, in nexus between God and the cosmos. That is true on the one hand, and then whatever exists in the cosmos and its reason for being its raison d'etre on the other, anchoring of the physical cosmos and all that exists in it in a realm beyond the physical is utterly lost in modern science.